Welcome to OnAmp. Oh no, not another marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis. I'm the Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder at RightSource with over 20 years experience in the marketing space. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from strategy to content to MarTech platforms and everything in between. You'll hear honest talk about successes and failures with our guests, plenty of analogies, maybe a couple jokes, and a lot of data points along the way. We don't have a ton of resources. We need to act on data. So I'll go back to the data and the metrics discussion, which is if we're going to pursue an activity, pursue content that we're going to create or what have you, I want to know that it's important. So I want data to back up the requests because we don't have unlimited bandwidth. We don't have unlimited funds or resources. So knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it and having expected outcomes is really critical to choosing which content we're going to create and how are we going to promote it. Welcome. With me today, Marty Branwin, VP of Marketing at WorldAware. Glad to have you here today, Marty. Thanks for inviting me, Will. So, uh, Marty, we always like to start off with a fun fact from our guests and would like to just hear a little bit about you, something people may not know. So, not many people know that back in the 90s, I actually wrote an episode of America's Most Wanted. So, for people who remember the show, it was um, about uh, the top most wanted people in America got profiled um, with the hope that someone would call in a tip and hopefully find these people. Um, and back in the mid-90s, I was taking a class at American University taught by the creative director of the show. And we all received research on an event. And we were able to um, write scripts on spec. And mine was one of three chosen for an episode. Wow. How about that? Well, I'm glad that you wrote one rather than appeared in an episode of America's Most Wanted. I've heard that before, actually. Yes. <laughs> Figured um, as much. Yes. Um, I've also had people comment that they're glad I wasn't profiling them. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because a lot of people still follow up with me who do know about it to find out what happened. And actually, the individual we profiled was caught a few years ago. So it took 15 years from the episode and actually had nothing to do with the episode. But it was something that the people who were involved still tracked. Um, an interesting community and um, kind of interesting to work with the um, U.S., uh, with the federal agents who were involved in the case. Well, not unlike marketing, sometimes there's a long period uh, before you actually get to the end result. That is true. And um, I can actually say that marketing and my writing background in particular, um, being able to write for an audience made a huge difference in how you kind of form a script. Great. Well, that's a good transition. Uh, tell us about World Aware and what you do there. Yeah, so World Aware helps organizations around the world keep their people and assets safe. And by assets, I mean facilities. It could be their equipment, trucks, ships, what have you. We do that by providing several different things. We provide intelligence, we provide technology, and we provide services. Intelligence is information about what's happening in the world. It could be an environmental risk that exists, for example, a hurricane or an earthquake. It could be geopolitical, it could be terror-related, it could be transportation-related. We report on these events, we create alerts so that our clients know what is happening or what is going to happen, and that gives them, the forewarning gives them the ability to hopefully avoid a threat or a risk that exists and be not in the vicinity of you know, potential danger. We deliver that information through technology, through mobile app, as well as web app. Individuals within our client organizations can actually have a mobile application on their phone. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got it with them all the time and receive alerts directly. In other cases, security operations centers will receive the alerts and pass it on as appropriate to their people. Um, and then finally, should someone 
find themselves in a difficult or unfortunate situation, our assistance and response teams are available to help coordinate and evacuate or move those people to safety. Very interesting. So what's your background? How did you end up there? (laughs) So my background's been in marketing most of my career, started off on the healthcare side, found that for me, the healthcare industry was really rewarding because I saw the impact I was making on people. I happened to get into technology after that and spent most of my career in technology um, until switching to WorldAware just two years ago. And going back to WorldAware kind of reminded me about the people element of what you can do, whether you're in marketing or in any other position. And it's that impact on people that I think motivates many of us at WorldAware, if not all of us. It's that, you know, that mission to help keep people safe. So for me personally, getting back to the idea of marketing a product, marketing a service, marketing a technology that actually impacts not just the company, but the individuals within the company, it's been really rewarding. That's really cool. And, um, you know, it's it's been interesting as you've talked about your background moving from healthcare and then through technology and then you know, dare I say, almost every company now is a technology company in some way. And then there's additional services, you know, often that wrap around that. You and I have talked about this in the past, but there's been a lot of change in marketing, evolution, marketing over our careers. You know, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? And and I'm sure you have some interesting stories around that. So um, there has been a lot of change. And I think the technology stack has seen a huge change. Um, I have colleagues from other companies, you know, people I've worked with, people I know who, from the marketing perspective, manage a technology stack of over 20 different applications right now. Wow. Um, and that brings its own challenges um, because you then need to figure out who's your expert, how many people do you need to manage them. And they're doing that, I think, primarily because of the automation it brings and it's supposed to make our job easier. Um, but the biggest change, and I think it kind of plays into the technology, is what do you do with that information that, te- that the technology collects, right, the data? And for me, if I go back to the dot-com bubble, it was a great time to be a marketer. I had so much fun, uh, easily the most fun I ever <laughs> had in my career because we had, I don't want to say because, but there was no accountability, right? <laughs> I worked for a company that was public. Um, we were one of those companies where it seemed like no matter what we did, the stock price went up. It didn't matter that we didn't have, um, that we weren't positive from an EBITDA perspective. It didn't matter that we were losing money, um, that revenues weren't, you know, that we didn't have incredible revenues. It was the idea of what we provided that people were reacting to, which meant that as long as the stock price went up, everyone was happy. So I remember one time going into our CEO's office and I was the marketing director. I went in with our VP of marketing, my boss. We went into the CEO and we said, hey, we'd like you to look over this contract. We're not sure if we want to sign it or not. And his response was, I hired you to do a job. Just go sign it if you want to. It was a $2.1 million Super Bowl ad contract. (laughs) And he was just letting us do it if we wanted to. Like I mentioned, I was fairly young in my career. I was managing a $10 million plus online advertising contract with AOL Time Warner properties. We weren't measuring results. um, And it didn't really matter at that time until the dot-com bubble burst. And then you look back on it and you're, and for me anyway, I'm looking back on it. I'm thinking, wow, we had no accountability. Look at all these dollars we wasted or we don't know if we spent them well. And it wasn't clear to the company at the time, but it didn't matter. But once that bubble burst and you're thinking, wow, this company was losing millions of dollars. Why were we not paying attention to it? My next job after that company, after the dot-com bubble burst 
was with um, a small startup technology company that was run by a mathematician. So he was hyper-focused on accounting for the dollars that we spent. And my experience plus his sort of push made me focus entirely on the metrics. Are we getting what we want out of the dollars? I was negotiating an $80,000 contract for a series of advertising over the course of probably six or seven months with a bunch of publications under the same publisher. And I gave the information to our CEO and he came back and said, it should be $87 less expensive. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said to him, I won't say his name, but I said to him, um, I'm happy to go get you the $87 and I'm sure I can do it, but it's probably going to cost you more in my time to do that. Do you really want me to go after it? And that was the only mathematical battle I ever won with him. (laughs) But it drilled into my head the importance of accounting for dollars and accounting for um, the results of those dollars. Um, We did a lot of testing of that company. We would take all of our different advertising channels. um, We'd turn one off, like turn off Google AdWords, and we would see that everything else was impacted by it. So we were able to look at the metrics, we were able to test, and we were able to see how every activity interrelates and the importance of actually creating a comprehensive, holistic plan and thinking about not individual components, but about the entire web, how everything fits together. Um, and I think for me anyway, that's been the biggest change um, in my career is just focus on metrics and what do you do with that information to impact your next activity. So that really is an evolution and a lot of change. Um, I've got a few questions and uh, I might rapid fire one. So sure. Did you sign the Super Bowl contract or not? We did not. Okay. Probably a good decision. Uh, in retrospect, yes. Um, from a perspective of how much fun we would have had making the commercial, <laughs> who knows? We, we may have missed out on a little bit of fun. <laughs> uh, second piece, we've talked a lot. You started to talk about technology stacks and how people are managing them and what they're measuring. And that's really driven a big change in marketing too. You know, yeah. you started to say marketers have licensed these tools and built these stacks to create more efficiency and to become more automated. Yeah. But sometimes what I've seen actually happens is, you know, they thought we'd get more efficient. Instead, we created a whole new department, right? Now there's all sorts of people to manage these tools. Then that's the challenge, right? You need to find the people, the resources, and the expertise. And, you know, the pace of change is incredible. How do we keep up with it, right? You know, a good sort of micro example of that would be how do you optimize for SEO, right? Because the algorithms are constantly changing. What do you have to pay attention to? We know there's some certain major aspects that you always need to be aware of. But if you remember back in the day, Mm -hmm. um, there was keyword stuffing going on, right? People were putting keywords on pages in the same color as the background. No one knew it was there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the biggest lesson from that is Google's smarter than us. Don't try to be smarter or outsmart them because you'll just get penalized. But the pace of change is so fast. So how do you keep up with it? What I found for our own organization right now is we need to be careful We need to be cautious and we need to be smart about the technologies we implement because we can't go spend a lot of money on a tool that we're not going to actually get value out of. You know, for us, it would be difficult to justify spending the money on, say, an attribution tool when I know we don't have the resources or the time to fully leverage it to get value out of it. So we're careful about what we do choose and what we don't choose. That said, there's a lot of technology that makes our jobs easier. Um, And there's a lot of technologies that we still are trying to 
better used than we currently are, but we're using at least 70, 80% of the functionality. But I think it's a big challenge, right? If you start to uh, add to your technology stack, who supports it, who pays for it, and how do you actually know you're getting value out of it? Yeah, and I think one of the things we talk about a lot, and I sort of joke for most of these marketing tools, you know, you mentioned attribution. There's certainly a data side, but on the kind of user experience and marketing automation, all these others, I joke like it doesn't come with content, right? And so I think that's a big challenge for organizations right. too. Okay, I bought this thing. Now what do I do? What do I send? Absolutely. What do I tell people? You know, great, I have dynamic content and personalization, but now I need to create more content. So right. How do you guys feed the content beast? In the past six or seven months, we've actually changed our content strategy. So we decided that most of what we do should be driven by content as opposed to content being driven by activities. So in the what I mean by that is in the past, we might have, say, an advertising campaign, a content syndication campaign planned, and that would drive the demand to create a new content piece. It's hard to find efficiencies when you're doing that. And it's hard to create enough content to support that so that you're actually getting, say, the demand generation results you want. What's more efficient would be to create the content that your audience needs and then figure out how you're going to promote it. The way we've addressed content now is, and we have a huge backlog of content we want to create, but we prioritize it. And it's based on what we're hearing from our clients from our prospects. So we know where their focus is. And we've got a lot of sources within the company providing us with that information. So really anyone that touches the field could be a source of information. And we're able to monitor and track inquiries that are coming in, whether it's sales inquiries um, and specific questions from uh, prospects or whether it's clients asking about a situation happening in the world or a trend that they're noticing. And we're able then to start to create content, which our demand gen team will then look at and say, you know what, we're going to run in this magazine. I need this piece of content. So they're going to pull from a library of readily available content. And every time we create content, we know what assets we need to create with it. So we know we need a landing page um, and a form and a workflow in our automation system so that we're able to track leads and actually route them correctly. So Content is sort of the center of the hub, and then we build out around that. And then our demand gen team, who's the biggest consumer of content internally, is able to kind of pull from the library and say, this is going to support this activity this month. Here's what's going to support next month. And we build it with different audiences in mind, and all that's tagged on the content. So we can see, are we meeting the needs of different audience segments? And most importantly, is the content relevant? Very interesting. And I think that's really critical when you talk about content being the first step, not saying, okay, let's start with the media and back into the content. Right. What we see that often driving too is the ability to make really effective content, to measure the effectiveness and to continue to repurpose it, right? So, you know, this podcast today might turn into eight, 10, 12 other content formats, whether that's, a, you know, an infographic or a blog post or something else. And I think really squeezing that maximum value out of the efforts is something we're seeing much more, uh, well, we're seeing effectiveness out of, I was going to say we're seeing more people doing it, but frankly, we're not yet. Well, and it's that whole idea of cope, create once, publish everywhere. And we are reusing content as much as we can. I think what's most interesting about content is if you go 
back to when content marketing really became a term, everyone was thinking more and more and more is better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really changed to relevance, right? Is this the right content? And still today, we get requests from different parts of the organization, all levels of the organization, all departments, to create content to support something. And my first question always is why, right? Mm -hmm. I want to know why they're asking for it. And what I discover is that sometimes it's because the individual making the request, the department making the request, thinks that this is going to be good or they need it. But we don't have a ton of resources. We need to act on data. So I'll go back to the data and the metrics discussion, which is if we're going to pursue an activity, pursue content that we're going to create or what have you, I want to know that it's important. So I want data to back up the requests um, because we don't have unlimited bandwidth. We don't have unlimited funds or resources. So knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it and having expected outcomes is really critical to choosing which content we're going to create and how are we going to promote it. Yeah, I think that's really the right approach. I mean, we've seen the stat kicked around everywhere now, 60 to 70% of marketing created content sits unused. And so, you know, someone once thought that they wanted this thing and then we made it and then nothing ever happened to it. So it's really critical to think about, okay, I used to always joke the the path and you talked about a few years ago when content marketing really started to take off. It's like step one, create content. Step three, become billionaire. Right. We need to figure out step two, but you know, we'll just keep creating content and eventually it'll happen. I think smart companies have gotten much smarter about their approach there. Yeah. And I think it's challenging because I don't know that everyone in an organization actually thinks the same way a marketer does, right? I think there's still a perception that marketing is this creative art piece of the company. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's, you know, an expense, not an investment. But marketing is much more of a science than it ever used to be. And I think that's an important fact that we have to keep in mind. We do create content. We do get requests for portals and stuff like that to be created. We measure everything. And when it's not working, when our clients, our partners, our prospects aren't actually accessing it, we're not going to invest more time into that activity. So it's interesting as we talk about content libraries and different types of content, your organization by nature produces a ton of highly specialized, really relevant, um, often really timely content uh, for your customers. And then there's kind of that next layer of content that you produce that's for the public. And maybe, you know, maybe it's gated. And there's that next layer of content that's available for free, not behind a form. You don't have to give up any information. Uh, How do you go about determining what that mix looks like? So I'll tell you, we are really fortunate, or I'm really fortunate to have this built-in content engine within the company. Um, When I was interviewing, the founder of the company asked me, like, what's one of the biggest challenges for any marketing person? I said, content. And his response was, you have nothing to worry about. We have 120 people creating content every day for you. (laughs) Um, So it's been actually great because we do have tons of content coming in every day from all parts of the world, covering all different categories of what we call intelligence, like the threats and the risks that exist out there. Um, It's not, that's not always what our prospects or our clients want though. They also want Mm -hmm. advice about their risk management programs. Um, and, um, and related, you know, crisis management, crisis communications. How do I use social media to communicate better um, with my own employees? That sort of thing. And what we have found is that multimedia is increasingly, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but it's increasingly the preferred way of consuming content. Um, for us, it doesn't make sense to just go right into create a podcast, create a video, create a webinar. It's 
let's create the blog post. Let's create the podcast. Let's create the webinar. Let's create the white paper. Let's create the ebook. Let's do all those content pieces around it and then serve that up to our clients or, or our prospects, depending on the piece, and let them kind of consume it the way they want. Now, what's really important to clients is sort of that real-time nature of content. Um, if it's something happening in the world, if there's an event going on that they want to know about, getting them information really quickly is really important. That said, we do a currently quarterly, soon to be monthly, hopefully, um, sort of a news show video for our clients. Um, and that's just about ongoing trends. And it's a really popular piece. Um, it actually came about because a client mentioned to our CEO that she really would like us to be able to provide this type of information that she was getting that day more frequently. And it was sort of like light bulbs go off, mm -hmm. right? Listen to your clients. <laughs> sure. And go deliver to them what they're asking for. So um, you have to remain flexible. when We have to be ready to deliver content in any way we can. So we have multiple people on the team trained to be able to spin up a webinar, to spin up um, you know, a podcast, to write a blog, or to repurpose content from our intelligence team into mm -hmm. a blog. It's... Um, and, you know, besides having multiple resources, then you got to think about what's the editing process look like, especially for multimedia. Who can do that? How can you do it? What's the most efficient way to do it? But um, it, for us, the key really is delivering content in multiple formats and letting our clients and our prospects choose a format that's best for them. And you can track all that. So, uh -huh. now, so now you know. <laughs> so now you can start delivering it to them more proactively in the way that we want. So we actually recently created a subscription service for our clients. I'm calling it a subscription. It's free. It's marketing content. It's the intelligence we provide. But we we asked them what we said. Here's the type of content we can deliver to you. Here's the frequency we'll deliver it to you. Go ahead and subscribe. Tell us what your preferences are. And probably preference engines a better way to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's improved open rates. It's improved consumption of content because we're not forcing it on our audience now. They're actually choosing what it is they want to hear about and how they want to hear about it. I think that's really interesting too is saying, okay, you know, there's some companies that have this perception of we just need to do videos or we yeah. just need to do, you know, and, and it's really, you know, listen to the audience and then give your audience what that person wants versus, okay, you know, we got some feedback that people love videos. So let's spend our, our next 20, you know, content cycles on videos. Yeah. And it's not just the media you use to communicate, but we also measure the topic. Mm -hmm. So we know what topics are more popular than others. And it lets us understand, you look at keyword research and all that. So we know that content we create around the term duty of care as an example might be more popular than around risk management policy, or I'm kind of making this up right mm -hmm. now, but you know, that's the type of comparison we can do. We can look at specific terms, specific content areas, and we can figure out what's most popular, what's not. And it helps provide that roadmap for what you're going to create next. Yeah. And, and making that kind of data driven and really looking at the effectiveness of the content and yeah. the data then gets us out of some of those conversations we used to have in the past where, you know, someone in the C-suite down the hall has a great idea about a piece of content. It's way off message. It's way off topic. And you used to sort of have to acquiesce. And now you may still have to acquiesce and sort of, you know, your $87 debate, right? But now yeah. you have data and say, here's what's really effective. Yeah. And that's the other question is what does effective mean, mm -hmm. right? So we might have a conversation in the office and maybe someone says to me, well, this piece of content got a hundred, you know, views. 
And my response is going to be, well, what does that do for us, for the company, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're not capturing, if we're not converting, if we're not driving revenue, which is our company goal with our marketing efforts, then the views aren't really that important. Um, and that's something that you debate all the time, or I debate all the time too. Um, you think about, you know, someone will say, well, why aren't we showing up on these search results? Right? <laughs> sure. It's a yep. common thing that everyone uh-huh. hears. And I think from a marketer's perspective, it kind of drives you crazy. So when you look at like SEO, there's keywords, there's long tail keywords that you have already done research on, you've already optimized for, or you understand the need for it. Um, and when someone says, well, why aren't we showing up for this search? It might be that that person's the only one in the world who does that search, or it is not as important of a search. Maybe it's 20 people versus a thousand doing a search that you've already optimized for, or the competition's so great for that word and you're not going to beat out the fortune 10 company that, that owns that keyword. You know, maybe you're going to advertise or maybe the advertising cost is too big and that's why your ads aren't showing up on that page. So there's a lot of considerations. And again, a lot of it comes back to the data and what you've mm-hmm. analyzed and how you've come up with your program that I think impact what effectiveness really means. Um, and I think that's an important part of any campaign um, is understanding what are your goals what are you trying to achieve? How are you going to measure it um, and put that into place so that when someone says, hey, why don't we do this or why aren't we showing up here? You can ask why. Right? Mm-hmm. Why is that important? So shifting gears for a minute, um, we talked earlier about marketing technology. What's like the one piece of marketing tech you couldn't live without? That's a good question. So there's two pieces that I live in of marketing technology that I live in every single day. Marketo is one of them, right? So our marketing automation tool, the metrics it collects, being able to show me what's working, what's not from an email perspective, from a landing page perspective and so forth is critical. The other piece that I live and die by is salesforce.com, right? And that is not just a marketing tool. That is a sales tool. It is a company tool. It is our system of record. And I spend more time in in Salesforce making sure that it's working the way it should from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective um, every day because the data and the information we collect there is vital. Um, And it's also important to be able to track your results, not just we got 50 downloads, but we got 50 leads, 20 of them converted to discussions with a salesperson, five of those converted opportunity, two of those converted to revenue, and here's how much, right? So we get that information out of the combination of Marketo and Salesforce. So those are the two pieces of technology I would say I probably could not live without. Flip side of that, are there anything that's kind of a waste of time or overblown or overhyped or tech everyone's talking about that you say, you know, we're either, I guess that overblown is probably the wrong <laughs> phrase. Maybe we're just not there yet. Yeah. You know, I mentioned marketing attribution is an area that I don't think it's overblown, but we have workarounds. So using UTM parameters, tracking first touch, last touch, second to last touch is giving us a good idea. Using Salesforce to track campaigns so we know what campaign someone's been in. Some of the automation we create in Marketo gives us a good workaround for that. Um, I think having a marketing attribution tool would be great for us um, and it would give us a lot of insight. But the cost and the resources to manage and actually set up the models that work and test them is just not something right now that's a top priority for us. So metrics related, we've talked about that, using these platforms to track things, um, Marketo, Salesforce, your key things. What are your KPIs uh, that you look at? You know, you talk about being these tools every day. What do you guys really measure? Yeah, so 
um, when we do our planning for each year, we kind of establish what those KPIs are and we work backwards, right? And I actually wonder why companies don't do this more often because I talk to others who don't do it, but we start with what's the company goal, right? And let's just talk about revenue, right? Here's a revenue goal that we have as a company. How do we achieve it? Well, we're going to need based on close rates and time to close sales cycles, this many opportunities, right? And we know what our conversion rate is from contact to opportunity. And we know how many sales development reps we'll need as a result of that to create the number of opportunities that are um, that are needed for the company. So we set up a whole sort of list of, of KPIs, metrics that we need to achieve. And it influences our hiring decisions. It influences our advertising. So I know how many leads I'm going to need, how many people I'm going to need to actually respond to those leads. And then I'm able to track it all the way from opportunity through to revenue. So we look at every single stage of both lead qualification as well as opportunities. Yeah, I think that's, as you said, surprised more companies don't do that because what it does is really wires every department into driving business results instead of driving, you know, kind of vanity metrics or, you know, hey, great. As you were talking about before, hey, great, we're, we're really strong on page views. Okay, but... Sometimes that's a proxy metric for something else, but um, like a Matt Hines, who uh, who I see speak a lot, and um, you know, one thing he said a couple of years ago that stuck with me, you know, he was talking about marketing metrics when he was an in-house marketer, and he said uh, the VP sales said those metrics don't matter unless you can buy a beer with them. Right. He said marketing metrics you can buy a beer with, right? So how do we tie it to revenue? And if we can't buy a beer with it, maybe it's not a great metric. Right, right. I, I agree with that. It's um, it, it's interesting because I've been in those conversations about, well, our LinkedIn page, our Facebook page has this many views or hits or why aren't we getting more? And the question is always like, well, people go there. Do they come to our site afterwards? Do we capture them? Are we actually following up and creating leads and opportunities from it? And that's really important. Um you know, even on the public relations side, right, there are metrics that are important to your business that you want to talk about. And one of my first days on the job um, it was the first board meeting I sat in the current company. I was asked about public relations and how we're measuring it. And I shared that I don't buy into the whole column inch value mm-hmm. um, because it's more important that someone sees the article in the New York Times and then comes to our website and we can track some of that um, or we can ask them how they've heard about us, right? Or we can just see spikes that correlate with media coverage. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do when they hit our site? And our general counsel was at the table and she started laughing because my predecessor had always talked to the board and sold them on the value of the column inch. <laughs> and I had no idea. Um, but it, it really does come back to the metric you choose has to have an impact on your business, has to be a desired impact, right? What's your business goal and then how are you going to achieve it? Um, you use the term vanity metric. We use that all the time to talk about the metrics that really are important to the individual, mm-hmm. but not to the company. Yeah. So uh, one last question, and we ask all the guests this, um, you know, what would the Marty of today give his advice to an earlier career Marty what have you learned over time? Well, you know, if you could kind of take that time machine and go back. Um, I think the asking why, I would rather have done that earlier in my in my career than I did. And I think when you're new to your in your career, you tend to just want to do what you're told. There's a little bit less critical thinking, maybe. And trying to not disagree or put other people on the spot, but to make them think critically too about what they're asking. Because 
we only have so much time in the day. We only have so much money in the budget. And if we're not making those smart decisions and forcing others to think along those same lines and make those other smart decisions, then we're probably not doing ourselves and our company you know, a service. Um, so if I were to change one thing, I probably would ask why a little bit sooner than I started doing in my career. Great advice. Well, thanks for joining us, Marty. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.